Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Teacher Appreciation Week. And so if you are a teacher of any variety, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I really can't thank you enough. There's, It's impossible to thank our teachers sufficiently for all that they have done for us. Um, and so Mrs. Chestnut, thank you. She was my third grade teacher. Mrs. Mabry, who is now with the Lord, uh, I thank I thank God for Miss Mabry, probably most of all of all my teachers over the course of time. She was my fifth grade teacher. Uh, coach Fife, he was my softball coach in high school. Really can't thank him enough. My grandma, Robina, probably the greatest teacher I ever had because she was the teacher of my mom, who is certainly the greatest teacher I've ever had. So thank you, mom. And then, um, I just want to say thank you to some teachers, sort of, uh, I don't know, maybe late in life teachers. I don't know how else to describe that. You know, I've only been on the radio for four years. And so the, the men in particular who came alongside and said, you know, we think you can do this. Uh, and so I want to say thank you to a handful of teachers in radio, Joe Battaglia, John Frost, Phil Boyce, and uh, Dave St. John. So thank you. And then thank you to Neil Stavum, who who teaches me every single day. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, in other parts of, of life, I want to thank my pastor, Scott Patty. I want to thank my husband, Jim. He is probably the teacher, obviously, you know, just nearest and dearest and closest and the one from whom I learn most every single day. So thank you. So be sure that this week you say thank you to the teachers in your life, those who taught you when you were little, those who have been teaching you recently to open the Word of God in ways that not only edify you, but extend the grace of God to other people. So who are your teachers and how are you going to show appreciation for them this week? Special teacher appreciation to those actually functioning in our school systems and teaching our kids. Never have those of us who have uh, now been at home with our kids and challenged to teach them, never have we so appreciated you who go to the classroom each and every day during, you know, more normal times. All right, today is also May the 4th, so you're going to hear this a lot today. May the force be with you on this May the 4th. Did you know that there's actually a Christian origin to the Jedi greeting? Star Wars producer Gary Kurtz confirmed in the book How Star Wars Conquered the Universe that the phrase, may the force be with you, was actually intentionally evocative of the traditional Christian blessing, may the Lord be with you. George Lucas was raised uh, as a Methodist, and he intended the Jedi greeting to actually evoke in people the distinctively biblical phrase, may the Lord be with you. So throughout Star Wars, um, you hear this phrase very frequently, may the force be with you. And when it is absent, like in Solo, the Star Wars story, um, there's a real spiritual vacuum. And so you have an opportunity today as a Christian uh, when people say, may the force be with you, uh, to respond, which force? Because as Christians, we don't believe in an impersonal universe. 
We don't just believe in some force out there. We actually believe in the person of a living God, a personal God, the personal God of the universe, the Lord of all. So today, as others offer the greeting, may the force be with you. I'm going to encourage each and every one of us to respond. And may the Lord be with you. When we come back, Dr. Zach Jenkins is going to be here from Cedarville University. He joins us each Monday during this COVID-19 crisis to help us uh, better understand not only the numbers, but what is going on in terms of our fight against COVID-19. And this week, we're going to talk about the promise of remdesivir. I practiced saying that, remdesivir. We'll be right back. Joining me now, Dr. Zach Jenkins. Uh, he serves at Cedarville University. He's also been posting each week a video helping us understand where we are in the COVID-19 process. And he is back again today. You can follow him on Twitter at farm, like like pharmacy, not like farm that you live on, but like pharmacy, farm D hiker. Zach, welcome back. Good morning. Good morning. May the Lord be with you. May the Lord be with you. <laughs> All right, so let's start with the numbers. 3.5-ish, 3.6-ish million people globally have contracted the coronavirus, at least those who have been tested. 1.18 million here in the United States. 7 million Americans have been tested. Um, 248,000 deaths globally, 68,000 deaths here in the United States. It was noted to me over the weekend, that is more deaths uh, of of Americans attributed to COVID-19 just in three months than all the Americans who died in the 20 years of the Vietnam War. So w- w- the numbers are significant. Uh, w- without a doubt. Um, and actually, I, I think I, I'll comment on, on the deaths. So, so there's been some controversy, I think, over how the deaths are counted. Um, and, and so one thing to kind of keep in mind is essentially if someone has contracted COVID-19, and they have another pre-existing condition like heart failure and they die of heart failure, then it counts as a COVID-19 death. And there's a reason for that. So some of some of those diseases, they're so interlinked within the body. Like uh, with COVID-19, it can actually make your heart failure worse. And so that could be what's a trigger there. Or if it causes pneumonia and you die from a pneumonia, that, then of course COVID-19 is involved. So it's kind of a question of what came first, the chicken or the egg? Oh, we have that debate so frequently at our house because we raise chickens and it is really, that is a, I'm not going to get into that with you today because the chicken and egg conversation is just deeper than (laughs) I'm prepared to go on this Monday morning. Let's, um, let's talk about the promise, the, the hope, the potential, let's use the word potential of remdesivir. Yeah, absolutely. So this past week, um, there was really some, some breaking news that Dr. Anthony Fauci put forward, I believe it was on April 29th, he came out publicly and stated that remdesivir, which is an antiviral um, that they had actually been investigating for coronavirus, he he came out and stated that they had actually seen some early results in one of the major trials that's being conducted that that appeared positive. Um, Specifically, it was shown to have about a 30-some percent, I think it was about a 31% reduction in the duration of illness which it's uh, pretty meaningful when you think about the fact that uh, this particular illness in severe cases can last up to 28 days. 
So it, that's that's basically a week that people can kind of get back to their lives or get back to work earlier. So so that's pretty impactful from that perspective. Another positive thing is he shared that there was a trend towards mortality benefit, um, but they couldn't actually prove that because they had to kind of stop that study earlier than they intended simply because um, they they found that they already had that one initial benefit and it would be unethical to continue the study while not providing that new standard of care to other people. All right, I'm talking with Dr. Zach Jenkins from Cedarville University, uh, and we are talking about progress. I think I think we're hoping that we're making progress in terms of um, valid treatments, and this is this is a treatment conversation about remdesivir. I have to pause every time before I say it so that <laughs> I don't completely um, completely butcher it. I get I think I am thankful that it's at least a pharmaceutical that I can pronounce because that's not always true. Um, okay, so what? Uh, remind us what happens when the coronavirus, this particular coronavirus, enters a cell, and then why remdesivir is potentially effective against that process. So, like most viruses, what ends up happening when the coronavirus enters into a human cell? Um, usually, it's going to be a respiratory cell in most of your patients. So, so what happens in these cases is it ends up depositing its genetic data that it carries. Uh, in this case, it's RNA, and then that RNA actually acts on an enzyme in the cell called RNA polymerase. And, and basically, a way to think about that, it's like a photocopier. And so it copies that RNA, that viral RNA, over and over and over and over. And then that triggers your cell to start producing things like proteins, like structures, et cetera, that the virus actually uses to make more virus. So it, it essentially photocopies itself. So what, Ren, what Rendesivir does is it actually goes in and jams the copier. It stops that process from occurring. All right. So, Zach, um, we have to take a very quick break. When we come back, um, maybe uh, maybe we'll talk about the fact that this is this is actually not a brand new drug. It's just a drug that hasn't made it all the way through trials. And so I'm going to let you talk about where we are um, in, in terms of the trials of this particular drug. Um, and then I'd love to ask you a question about something I'm just hearing about COVID antigen testing, about which I know nothing. So those conversations up next with Dr. Zach Jenkins. We'll be right back. All right, let me clear something up before I continue my conversation with Dr. Zach Jenkins. Yes, people, I have read the beginning of Genesis. Yes, I know that God created the chicken, okay? I I don't really need the Monday text harping. Okay, I got it. Yeah, the chicken came first, clearly. All right, Zach, I, I know it's surprising, but people have a lot of energy this early in the morning for correcting one another. Okay, okay, so... um. Uh, tell us, tell us about where we are in the testing of this drug, um, because I do think that people are anxious to know that there are going to be some treatment protocols, uh, that are effective and, you know, and that are going to be available. Um, so t- tell us where we are in, um, in terms of the testing of the safety and efficacy of this particular drug. So safety and efficacy of the drug. So um, this this drug, as you had mentioned before, is not new to us. Uh, we actually were investigating this in the last decade for use against Ebola. 
And they had trialed it in the laboratory setting against coronavirus, uh, other strains of the coronavirus like SARS and MERS. And, and they found that it had some activity against those, but we really didn't have to use it because those never really grew to be a substantial threat. Ebola, on the other hand, was a big concern. And so when they trialed it against Ebola, unfortunately, what they found is that in the groups that received it, they didn't have a good outcome. And so this kind of got put up on the shelf because no one really thought there was going to uh, be anything that really amounted from this. So it stopped at what's called a phase two trial and, and phase phase one and phase two trials are where we're looking solely at safety. And then phase three trials are where we look at efficacy and those are the big trials. So the nice thing is because we had stuck this up on the shelf, we already had an idea of where it, it was safety profile wise. We were actually able to start right in the middle of phase three, which means it can actually hit market for use in uh, treating this virus more quickly. All right, so we have we have some hope. Um, I mean, we always have hope. It springs eternal. But in these particular clinical trials related to um, remdesivir, we, we have some hope as well. So we're excited about that. Talk with us about COVID antigen testing. I, I don't know what an antigen is. So an antigen is basically a structural component on the virus. And so with the coronavirus, they have these things called spike proteins that kind of stick out, and they help it to latch on to host cells. And... What these tests would do is they actually search the, your, your body. They search like a sample fluid specimen to see if they can detect any of those things. The, the challenge is right now that with antigen testing, you always have to make it very specific for the virus. You can't look at a wide array of things. So it has to be just that one protein kind of thing that you'd be looking for, that one antigen. And that, that's a disadvantage because that, that makes it a little bit more hard to develop. An advantage is that if you're able to detect that, it, it does actually indicate that you would have the virus or not. Um, so, so that would be helpful in that regard. And it's also very quick. So these things usually, if it's like the flu antigen test, it's about 15 to 30 minutes before you'd have a result. One of the problems we've had with testing so far is some of the tests take quite a while to get back. And it's also pretty hard to scale. Uh, you know, we have over 300 million people in this country and there's not any way that we could actually administer 300 million tests in a day um, and have those results back. And so the, the promise of antigen testing is that it's it's pretty easy to scale those things. And it's so simple to get that your, your physician could give it to you, your nurse could give it to you, your pharmacist could give it to you without any issue. It'd be quick. You'd be in and out. And then you could figure out if you could go back to work or not. So like that, that's a real advantage to antigen testing. Okay, you've just illuminated something that I think people need to be reminded of. Just because uh, someone has been tested doesn't mean they don't need to be tested again and again and again and again. So as we reopen America, uh, we we have to consider that really at some point everybody needs a test every day for a while, which is kind of crazy to think about. And everybody doesn't need a test every day because everybody isn't out there, um, you know, in the midst of the population. Right. So we're. We should still be um, really considerate about where we go, where we where we really need to go, how close we are to other people, wearing a mask, wearing gloves, washing our hands. Like none of that is lifted um, even as some people begin to go back to work. Am I right? 
Yeah, so so I mean, obviously, all those other measures are, are going to be really important to emphasize. Um, and testing is still going to play a pretty important role when we're considering how things get reopened. And, and then certainly moving into the fall, it'll help us to figure out what we need to do um, in specific cases. But but I guess what I'll what I'll add just just to make sure everyone's aware. So it's not that we're we're really thinking that you need to be retested every day. Um, it's it's more that. Uh, this would give you an idea if you've had any symptoms, whether you should be concerned or not. If you don't have symptoms, um, it could at least tell you that you're you're not a carrier for the virus. So that's the that's the advantage of antigen testing, and it only be done periodically. It wouldn't be done that that frequently for most people. When you when we've talked about things before, we've also talked about antibody testing, mm-hmm. and that the goal there is we're trying to figure out if someone's ever been exposed to the virus, and if you have. Of course, the hope is, although we can't prove it yet, the hope is that you've developed some sort of immunity. So that's going to be one of the big things that we're trying to watch more carefully, because that would tell us whether or not you would need to worry about being retested. All right, Zach, I appreciate you explaining it. I appreciate you not um, making me feel terribly ignorant because I realize I have very pedantic questions about these things. But thank you so much for your patience with us. (laughs) And for, uh, for coming back every Monday, we really appreciate it. That's Dr. Zach Jenkins from Cedarville University. You can follow him on Twitter at farm, like pharmacy, D, hiker. We'll be right back. So George W. Bush um, offered some encouraging comments on where we are as a people in the midst of the coronavirus uh, challenge. And I wanted to share that audio with you this morning. So this is former President George W. Bush. This is a challenging and solemn time in the life of our nation and world. A remorseless, invisible enemy threatens the elderly and vulnerable among us, a disease that can quickly take breath in life. Medical professionals are risking their own health for the health of others and we're deeply grateful. Officials at every level are setting out the requirements of public health that protect us all. And we all need to do our part. The disease also threatens broader damage, harm to our sense of safety, security, and community. The larger challenge we share is to confront an outbreak of fear and loneliness. And it is frustrating that many of the normal tools of compassion, a hug, a touch, can bring the opposite of the good we intend. In this case, we serve our neighbor by separating from them. We cannot allow physical separation to become emotional isolation. This requires us to be not only compassionate, but creative in our outreach. And people across the nation are using the tools of technology in the cause of solidarity. In this time of testing, we need to remember a few things. First, let us remember we have faced times of testing before. Following 9-11, I saw a great nation rise as one to honor the brave, to grieve with the grieving, and to embrace unavoidable new duties. And I have no doubt, none at all, that this spirit of service and sacrifice is alive and well in America. Second, let us remember that empathy and simple kindness are essential, powerful tools of national recovery. Even at an appropriate social distance, we can find ways to be present in the lives of others, to ease their anxiety and share their burdens. 
Third, let's remember that the suffering we experience as a nation does not fall evenly. In the days to come, it will be especially important to care in practical ways for the elderly, the ill, and the unemployed. Finally, let us remember how small our differences are in the face of this shared threat. In the final analysis, we are not partisan combatants. We are human beings, equally vulnerable and equally wonderful in the sight of God. We rise or fall together, and we are determined to rise. God bless you all. Last week, the, um, the United Nations chief was publicly lamenting a lack of what he described as global leadership. Others since then have asked why the UN is not providing global leadership. Um, and I just want to ask the question this morning, what does leadership look like? What does leadership sound like? Does it sound like what you just heard? What are you and I looking for in leaders today? Humility? Truth? Hope? Sacrifice? Vision? Faith? Humanity? Grace? Grit? Compassion? Yes. And such leaders are cultivated in communities of faith, where truth is spoken in love and character is developed in faithfulness, to a reality and a design of the Lord our God. We are not a people of selfish gain nor self-interest. We are a people who are about upbuilding one another. In fact, the upbuilding of a people who together are strengthened as a witness to the world, a people of light, a people of abundance, a people of hope. And so as those around you are suffering their vulnerability, let us be the people who are not only wonderful in the sight of God, but wonderful in the sight of our neighbors. Next up, Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. He and I are going to turn our attention to some of the political headlines of the day. We'll be right back. All right, so for those of you who are um, Mornings with Carmen regular listeners, I want to issue a bit of a challenge today. So tomorrow morning... During this program, we are going to kick off uh, the Spring Share fundraiser for the Faith Radio Network. And so I'm going to invite you to be praying right now about how you are going to participate in the Spring Share fundraiser. Uh, We are going to get to kick started in the morning. You and I are going to have the opportunity to sow the seeds that will bring forth uh, just a wonderful harvest of righteousness in the days and weeks and years to come. And so please be praying with me about how you intend to participate. You're going to get to either call in during the show tomorrow, um, or you can text in. Those numbers are, as they always are, 877-933-2484, or you can always give securely online at MyFaithRadio.com. So Spring Share begins tomorrow morning. And I want uh, the Mornings with Carmen crew, that includes you, to think about how we're going to kickstart the whole thing off and really get it, really get it going strong um, this this particular spring. So we've got uh, we've got an opportunity to sow into this ministry in significant ways, and so want to invite you to prayerfully consider how we're going to be doing that tomorrow morning. All right, next up, Dr. Adam Carrington. 
We'll be right back. Most likely, you enjoy making your own choices. We all like to be in control of things. So when did that start for you? When was the first time you thought, I'm making my own decision here? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. I bet there's never been a time in your life when you didn't want to be in control. In fact, you probably fought for independence in your grade school and high school years. So why are we shocked when our own teens want to step out on their own? High control parents have a way of stifling creativity and knocking the ambition right out of their kids. So how about it? Let the rope out a little. Today, give your teen a little space to make their own choices. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find encouragement through articles, books, and more at ParentingTodaysTeens.org. Again, ParentingTodaysTeens.org. Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. You can find him on Twitter at Carrington AM. Adam, welcome back. Glad to be here. Hope everyone out there is safe. Amen. Amen. Um, all right. So for everybody who is housebound and hungry for new content, the Supreme Court um, is going to have some arguments today, and those are going to be heard live by the world for the first time. Yes. Uh, this I, I don't is, know. Are this... you Are you just geeking out over that? It seemed uh, yes. like a good thing uh, to ask you about. Uh, it, it is. I, I am, and uh, my wife is quite ashamed of me for for it. Um, <laughs> uh, she likes me to hide my nerd as much as possible. But yes, uh, uh, the court has the the Supreme Court has really resisted sort of technological changes including having any cameras, uh, even releasing. It's very rare for them to even release the audio of the oral arguments, which are sort of the last step before they vote, where the lawyers get up and, you know, give give their side to the judges. Uh, they've even they even normally don't even release the audio the day of. You have to wait till the Friday of. Um, and so uh, uh, in this pandemic, though, the question was, we, we need to find some way to continue to the work of the court. And um, so there were all these arguments that hadn't been done before. So for the first time ever, uh, the the arguments uh, by the lawyers in front of the Supreme Court are going to be are going to be live. And it's going to be interesting to see what that looks like. And it's going to be well, what I'll be interested to see if it is if the judges like it enough that maybe they'll do it more so that we can get stuff from the court quicker. I know, because you'd be so excited about that. <laughs> yes, it'd be a sil- <laughs> very tiny silver lining in all all, all, all of this. Yeah. Oh. Okay, so um, there was a virtual town hall last night uh, featuring President Donald Trump. Anything in that that stands out to you um, or you think we ought to highlight here today? Uh, sure. Uh, I, I, obviously, I think some of the narratives about the fights about was he treated worse than Lincoln and uh, uh, other things I, I, I probably were not very helpful either way. But I think he said two things that I, I, I hope are continuing themes for him. I uh, hope he stays consistent with one is he said uh, there's no winning in this circumstance. And I think mm. the way he meant it is helpful. And it's not a defeatism. It didn't come across as a defeatism. I think that would be wrong and bad. 
but no triumphalism. Uh, no, uh, there, there, this shouldn't be something that should be made to be uh, we won and someone else lost. I think uh, it, it's good to say that the focus is this is something we're persevere through. I, I was thinking of in in the Dark Knight. If anyone's big fans of that 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 Batman series where um, Bruce Wayne is doesn't know how to deal with the Joker and. Uh, 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 Alfred the butler says, well, what he says, what should I do? He says, you should endure that. This is mm-hmm. something to endure. Uh, and I think, uh, that sentiment should be built on. And then the one other thing I'd say is I, I, I th- there were times where I thought he did an, a decent job of acknowledging that there's two things we both want to happen. We want to protect lives and we want to protect livelihoods. And that as this goes on, we have to find a way. And I think hopefully eventually we can find a way to try to satisfy both, to satisfy that we need to start at some point getting life more back to normal, but we can't act as if nothing has happened. And so I think that those were the two moments that I think most stood out as helpful in, 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 in the course of the, of the session. Yeah, I would wholeheartedly agree. Um, wholeheartedly agree. All right. Can we pivot and completely change gears and, uh, and, and parties actually, um, Joe Biden has denied allegations of sexual assault um, by a, a, a woman who worked for him many years ago. Um, the The response and reaction has been sad to me um, in its in the depth of its hypocrisy. Um, how have you been processing the whole Joe Biden sexual assault allegation and then the responses to it? Right. And and I think trying trying to not let one uh, completely influence or take over the other, I think, is the difficulty, because uh, I'll start with the responses, because I think those uh, it, you've seen uh, uh, pretty uh, and, and I think everyone should be disappointed, uh, double, triple, however many standards uh, in some ways from both sides that uh, you, you see uh, 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 for for for. Uh, Democrats, um, they were very. I mean, I think the thing to really compare this to is is the Kavanaugh hearings, where um, they're what you know. We should take every claim seriously. We should think about it deeply. But uh, there's more corroborating evidence for this incident having happened, and uh, and 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 the left is much less likely to believe it. Uh, I think there's been a bit of a kind of sad triumphalism by some on the right where it's it's as if sexual assault claims are a a, a game, a bingo mm. game to try to get uh, the election, you know, get get uh, the, an election bingo. And I think that just uh, that shows, I think, that at times politics, the way we're practicing it right now, reduces people to points in a game and whether you lose or gain points is what matters, not what actually happens to the people. And I think that's where um, I think these allegations need to be taken seriously because there's been some corroborating evidence of her telling people. Uh, I think that there, you know, we need to make uh, 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 the vice president show his hand. He says he's going to release certain records. Uh, but at the same time, we also need to uh, remember that even in the court of public opinion, accusation is not condemnation. And we need to uh, 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 we need to really pursue this in a way that uh, is respectful of 
of trying to look at the evidence, respectful of of, of both parties. Uh, and I think that really what we should be talking about is how do we deal with sexual assault in the workplace? How do we deal with those kinds of questions? Uh, and, and then on secondarily uh, uh, talk about how this might affect the presidential election. So that's that would be my thoughts on how how at least to first look at this. I don't know if, if the accusation is true. There seems some evidence both ways. If it is, I think it would be severely debilitating. I think uh, sexual assault claims that have some credibility to them have to be taken very seriously. Uh, they're very hard for the women that are uh, often it's women involved to come forward. So uh, 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 that's that's at least where I think we should be right now. We should not let it go. We should continue to look at it and we should continue to hold accountable, uh, especially uh, uh, um, uh, any kind of accusations like this. One of the things, Adam, that it reminds me um, every time there is anything, any story like this. So throughout the whole Me Too um, movement, um, it has reminded me that there are lots and lots of people who have had really horrible experiences at some point along their, uh, you know, their their path, either either their educational path or their career path. And so I am mindful in the midst of these kinds of headlines to be sure that I am particularly sensitive in conversations with others to to be alert when they seem when they seem particularly aggravated, agitated or convinced one way or another um, of a story to which they were not a party. And and I then tend to say, you know, this seems very deeply personal to you. Is there is there a story here you want to tell me? Yeah, um, and just I think, really using uh, it as an opportunity um, into a deeper conversation. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to jump in on you. I, no, I yeah. Good. The 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 um. I think autobiography plays a lot into this, and that um. This these are the kind of accusations that most people uh, know someone or themselves have had something like this happen to them, and how because it's such an invasion. I mean, I think of Genesis three. Um, where uh, uh, w- when people realized that, uh, you know, when Adam and Eve realized that they didn't have clothes on and that they needed them. Well, why? Because all of a sudden, I think that vulnerability, they realized they could be hurt by someone who is imperfect next to them. And when uh, sin entered the world, also the capacity to hurt each other. And I think that image really shows just how visceral something like this, where it has happened to people, um, how just visceral it can be, how, how, how soul-wrenching it could be. And I think that's something that we why, – why also we have to be very careful about accusing people of waiting so long to come out with accusations, um, that sometimes it takes uh, a very long time for you to be able to uh, face that reliving of it if it's something that has happened. So, yeah, I think having compassion in that way is really important, especially with people who are obviously very troubled when stories like this arise. Absolutely. All right, Dr. Adam Carrington and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. I'm going to ask him about the whole Mike Flynn FBI story. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. Your plans still prosper. You've not forgotten us. You're with us in the fight and the flood. All right, the Justice Department has recently, um, and frankly very late in the process, provided... Uh, potentially exculpatory evidence in the case against Michael Flynn. You would recognize him as the former national security advisor to the president of the United States. 
You would also um, recognize him as a highly decorated uh, career member of the U.S. military. Um, Adam, what's your what's your take on um, on this story and where we are in in a legal process as well? Right. Uh, that this this is, to say this is get, gets messier and started out messy is 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 underballing it. Uh, so just uh, what I would say is what 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 these documents show is a back and forth de- uh, debate about whether basically to drop the charges and investigation on Flynn because it looked like they weren't finding what they were uh, thinking they were going to find about his contacts with Russia. Uh, but then the question became, uh, should they try to catch Flynn lying to the FBI about what they knew? Uh, not so much because he would be lying in relation to a crime, but he'd be lying and then they could possibly use him as leverage for uh, other matters they were continuing to investigate. And a lot of people are saying, you know, that sounds like uh, and I think they legitimately are saying that sounds like entrapment, like you're trying to catch someone who isn't necessarily doing anything wrong and then try to make a crime to try to uh, bully them. And um, I think that 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 is what this looks like. And the question I think we need to ask going forward, or at least the question that I think is being under asked is, is this kind of treatment particular to Flynn? Uh, the one narrative is this was an attempt by the FBI to take down the Trump administration, to uh, oppose him, to undermine him, and Flynn was a way to get there. Or is this normal, which is really troubling? In other words, most people get one, one of the notes that was released scrawled across the top saying, you know, it's pretty normal for us to do this. Uh, we're not going he- harder on Flynn if we try to do this to him. And I found that to be the most troubling because it might show that uh, uh, th- that the FBI's secrecy has allowed it to um, develop some practices that I think really can entrap uh, uh, regular Americans whose whose cases don't see the light of day the way Flynn has, and that maybe uh, we should be even looking at broader reforms in the way the system has worked. Yeah, I definitely, um, I want an FBI I can trust. And we are having some serious reasons to doubt that that's the case, because either through uh, malevolence or incompetence, uh, a lot of things are being exposed. And, and, and my thought on this is, on some of the other things that have come out, I think there, were, there there's some evidence that they were trying to be extra careful because they knew that they were going to be under extra scrutiny because of the fact the presidency was involved. Um, it makes me wonder how bad other investigations are are conducted. I think we have some serious things. Uh, 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 my wife was re- recently watching the, the the Waco documentary, or not documentary, the uh, TV series that just came out about Waco, where they interviewed uh, an FBI agent for for the the thing, and the FBI comes out looking pretty bad there. So, uh, not to try to connect those too closely, but um, an investigation into the FBI seems more than warranted at this point to see. Are we is this really conducting itself the way we need it to be? Yeah, accountability is absolutely crucial. All right. We have like uh, we have like a minute to talk about the protests and the protesters in Michigan. I got to tell you, the pictures of uh, uh, of people armed um, and masked basically taking over a state capital is troubling to me. 
Yes. And then, by the way, I would actually say I think some of the things that our governor has done has 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 been excessive. I think that she shouldn't have extended the uh, emergency declaration without uh, the, 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 the legislature approving. That all said, and I think that is very true, um, you know, our, our entire system, I've said, I think, uh, other times, is based on the idea that ballots should decide, not bullets. And I should say even the threat of bullets should not bully ballots and that, um, yes, people should come there and protest if they disagree. They should give their grievances. But to walk around um, with uh, basically the implicit threat of violence and force when we when the elections are running normally, when we have all of our normal means of discussing together how best we should go forward with this unprecedented pandemic, uh, I think is is uh, is not following your citizenship duties the way they need to be followed. Yeah. I, I think you and I are on the same page. Uh, don't don't um, don't tweet at me or text me that I am defending the governor of uh, of the state of Michigan in her actions. I am not. I am saying that there is an, an appropriate way to enter into a dialogue as people in a civilized country and um, and gearing up with your automatic weapons and storming the Capitol is not among them. That would be my two cents on the matter. Uh, Adam Carrington, thank you, as always, so much for joining us and helping us unpack the political headlines of the day from a Christian worldview. We genuinely appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Have a, have a great day. And, oh, I mean, ha- I hope you have some popcorn to watch the Supreme Court hearing. I'm just so excited for you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah. We'll be right back. All right, so what are the headlines that you are watching uh, today? I want to invite you to um, consider those from a Christian worldview. Bring the mind of Christ to bear on the matters of the day. We've got a whole other hour up next. I'm going to be talking about the questions that Jesus asked during his lifetime, how those might apply today. And then we've got David Aikman for a survey of what's going on around the world. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.